0: Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, my name is Carl. and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. And I've been praying that someone would be blessed here tonight as we open up this idea of walking in victory over complacency or walking in victory over apathy. And so I want you to turn into your Bibles to Psalm 146. You will need a Bible here tonight. And so um, they are in the pew around you. It's on about five, page 525. And if you don't have a Bible on you, feel free to get your phone out and you can, you can look one up. Uh, This whole series has been walking through the Psalms, but it's really founded on this verse in Romans 8 where it describes us as more than conquerors or super conquerors. And it's this idea that the circumstances that we experience in life cannot affect, cannot change God's love for us. And so we do not need to walk in our shame. We do not need to walk in ungodly worry. And we do not need to walk in this sense of spiritual dryness that we can sometimes experience. Well, this week um, I jumped onto Google and I looked up uh, this generation is. Um, And and so the Google got a little bit passionate, so I blanked out the first one there for you. Um, But it had a few things to say about this generation. And it said that this generation is uh, too sensitive or too lost and too soft and too weak and too lazy. And while I do think that um, picking on uh, this generation is like shooting uh, fish in a barrel, it's a pretty easy thing to do for every generation to come along and, and pick on the next generation, uh, the, the generation that's coming out. And I just think it's true that there is a complacency problem or there is an apathy problem, but I'll put it to you that it doesn't just affect young people, but it actually affects all of us. And you might title it as apathy or complacency, but in our connectionness or our relatedness to God, it comes as a sense of spiritual dryness, that there are seasons in our life that we do feel spiritually dry, and that God's love is still prevailing, and God's love has made a way for us that we do not need to enter these these seasons of spiritual dryness, and we do have resources to be able to bring us up out of them. Um, sometimes in a sense of spiritual dryness, we do have these resources that we like to go to, like the resource of telling ourselves off. That doesn't seem to work very well. Uh, we do have the resource of trying to snap ourselves out of it. I'm sure someone's come along to you before, and that's been a very helpful instruction to you. As you've been stuck in panic or worry or dryness, telling you to snap yourself out of it, all what you've done is maybe just judged yourself. And you felt pretty low about the season that you're in and you just started spiraling down and spiraling down. Well, the good news is that in the book of Psalms, we actually receive all these core convictions of the Israelite community that they would sing to one another these praises with a purpose, sing these core convictions that fuel their awe for God. And so what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna look at some of the core convictions that the Israelite community valued so much That fueled their awe for God, that would help them stay away from the wasteland of spiritual dryness and enter into the promised land of spiritual fruitfulness that God would call us to. So, tonight, our question is what do the Psalms reveal about the convictions of Israel that fueled their awe for God? Well, the first pillar that we're going to build our teaching around tonight is that they had a zero tolerance for idol worship, a zero tolerance. For idol worship. And this is a lesson that came very, very hard for the Israelite community because they were so prone to worshipping idols. And they had this um, relationship with God where they were under persecution, and God would come along and, in His great mercy, would relieve them out of their persecution and their captivity, and they would turn back into idol worship. And so rather than giving God the praise that he was due, they would turn back into idol worship. And God would send along a prophet and would call him out of idol worship and they would not respond. And so God would remove his protection over the Israelites and they would come under more persecution and more persecution until they would call upon their God to receive relief from that captivity. And so this lesson that they received was a heart-fought lesson As the Israelite community wrote these Psalms to remind them to stay as far away from idol worship as they could. Look down in your Bibles in Psalm 146, verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, don't trust in princes. In a son of man, in whom there is no salvation, put not your trust in princes. Sometimes it's, diff- sometimes it's difficult um, to understand the impact of the illustrations in the ancient texts because they're so far removed from our culture. The point that he's trying to ma- that the writer's trying to make here, is that princes have no real power, even though they're glamorous. Which is the exact same role and responsibility that our United Kingdom princes have today is that they have all the glamour, but they actually don't have any real power. And so if you were to look up what real power the royal family have, you would see that they have three or four things that they can do, but they have not called on that power in so long, because they know that the moment that they tried to call on that power, the UK government would snatch it away straight away. So the princes that that you look upon, they're attractive and they're alluring, but they actually have no real power at all. Idols are those things in our lives that do appear attractive, that we look to for fulfillment, but they have no power to deliver on the promises that they put before you. It's so important that God's people live with a radar for scouting our idols, because the movement of idols in our lives is very rarely an avalanche of idols, but it's more of a drifting. It's more of a drifting. And we need to have our radars up because they come promising comfort. They come promising relief. They come promising joy. But they actually have no real power in themselves to fulfill the promises that they're making. Relationships that God purposed for good will suddenly drift into relationships that are now deeply affecting your intimacy with Christ. It happens through a drift. Hobbies like sport and health and fitness are things that God gives you to enjoy and things to honor God with your body. But then a drift happens and all of a sudden something that God purposed for good has now become an idol in your life through a drift. The idol happens so subtly and we need to be aware because it has no power to bring us the joy that we truly long for. In the book of Jeremiah, the people were um, seeking comfort in everything that was detestable to the Lord. They followed rituals of false gods that involved murder and adultery. So they were murdering and committing adultery to receive comfort. And the Bible reveals to us that they were actually not even receiving the comfort that they chased, which is what happens with idols is that they promise so much and we chase these promises because they're alluring, because they're attractive, but they have no power in themselves to fulfill the promises that they're making. So in the book of Jeremiah, it's written, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, at what they're doing. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. God, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, And hewed out cisterns or wells for themselves, but broken wells that hold no water. The Lord is describing a fountain that can provide living water that lasts for eternity. And people have traded them in for things that bring no joy at all. If you trace through the book of Psalms, what you find is that for those people who put their hope in the Lord, He will actually heal spiritual dryness. And through the gift of his grace, we'll replace that dryness with joy. In Psalm 4, right back at the start of the book of Psalms, David has a situation where the Israelites are looking uh, around at all the other countries, all the other nations that appear to be prospering. I wonder if you have done that. I wonder if you have looked out at other people who seem to have stuff, right? They seem to have the relationship. They seem to have their job, their... Their, their Instagram is cooking. They've not just mastered the post, they've mastered the stories, right? They get how all the gifs work and they, they get how like, they can post all the pictures and make it laugh. They just look like they have these perfect, perfect, perfect lives. They look out and see perfection and the Israelites looked out and they saw perfection and they came to David and said, why would we hope in the Lord? What hope is there when everyone else has gold and they have silver and they have wheat, they have resources, what hope is there for us? And David says this. He turns to the Lord and says, "You have put You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine and grain abound. You've put more joy in my heart than when their wine and grain abound. There's lots that's happening in this one verse. It is saying that you have put the joy in there. That you don't need to conjure up joy. That joy actually comes as a gift of God's grace. Joy is not a personality type. Joy is not a personality type that extroverts have and introverts need to change themselves to be able to conjure up joy. Joy is actually a gift that God gives those people who would choose to take refuge in them to take refuge in him. What also is going on in this verse is that there will be seasons in your life where you will feel like calamity is at your doorstep, like trials and persecutions and things that you're suffering under is at your doorstep and the world will be surrounding you with all this pressure and it will look like they're flourishing. I don't know if you've had that experience before that you've looked out in the world and the world looks like it's doing a lot better than you are. The truth is, is that they're putting their hope in cisterns that will break away. And God's promise to you is that when you take refuge in him, that he will give you joy. You will, a joy that you will not need to conjure up, but a gift of God's grace to you. He will fill your heart with joy. Spiritual dryness and apathy comes into the life of the believer when they actually substitute their worship for God, for worshiping idols that are powerless to bring you joy. So do I need to break up with the, my partner who I'm dating because my relationship has turned into an idol? Maybe, but you need to repent. Do I need to leave the job that I'm in because my job has become an idol? Maybe, but you need to repent because you can end your relationship and you can leave your job without actually embracing the gift of God's repentance. This is the great invitation from the Lord to experience His grace in the midst of your dryness because the beautiful thing of the gift of God's grace is that when you come to Him and admit your idols and you repent, He does not condemn you, but He promises you joy. He promises you the gift of joy in the midst of your season. Dwight Moody says, The Lord gives His people perpetual joy, When they walk in obedience, perpetual joy when they walk in obedience. So Psalms reveals to us that God's people add fuel to their worship when they have a zero tolerance for idol worship. When they do this, God grows in them a pleasure for him and for his purposes in the world. That's our first pillar, zero tolerance for idol worship. Pillar number two is to be immersed in God's word, to be immersed in God's word. Psalm 147, if you want to turn there in your Bible, look over one psalm, calls for God to be praised, and it gives a number of reasons why you should praise God. And one of those being one of the most magnificent themes of the whole book of Psalms is to immerse yourself in God's Word. That God's Word has been provided to you in such a way that it is trustworthy and reliable and is to be immersed in. Look down at verse 15 of Psalm 147. It says, He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. What is it that the command of, the, of His word is so swift to accomplish? We'll look down at verse 16. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down His crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before His cold? God creates the very elements of the world through his word. Verse 18, he sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. The whole purpose of this psalm is to remind you that the very word that you can immerse yourself in is the very word that has the power to create the world that we live in that the Bible that you're holding in your hands now is the Word of God, the same power that created the world and maintains the world. My, um, my wife doesn't like it when I bathe my son, right? Because I dabble my son in water. And what I mean by that is that my wife and I have these two very different goals for my son getting bathed. Um, my goal is that I have my son in a confined space and so I can relax, that's my goal for bathing my son. The goal of my wife is to make our son clean. So what I do when I go to the bath is that I fill it up about halfway so I don't get splashed. And we have this tub of toys and I tip that tub of toys out into the water. And my son will play for 45 to 50 minutes straight. Amen. Amen. Come on. It's great parenting. And So I'll sit there and I can play with my son and play on my phone, right? It doesn't get that wet. So he'll have like his bottom half covered in water, and he won't get that wet, and he also won't get that clean. And so my wife will come along, and she will ask me that question: "Did you actually clean him?" And I will say, "No, I didn't." And so my wife will immerse my son in the water so that he is clean. Now the truth is is that God has called us not to dabble in the word, but it is trustworthy to be fully immersed in. that, if we want to experience the greatness of the gift of God's word, we need to stop dabbling with it. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is this intimate verse. It's, this, it's bringing it so close. There is, nothing, there is nothing that can offend you more when you taste something you don't like. And there is nothing that is more pleasurable when you taste something that is so sweet. Immersing yourself in the word. A Baptist pastor in the States, Adrian Rogers, once said, if you have a Bible that's falling apart, you'll have a life that's not. If you have a Bible that is falling apart, you'll have a life that's not. Remember that Psalms 1 and 2 are the thesis or the argument for the whole of the book of Psalms, right? So in Psalms 1, what we actually find is, it says, "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law on his law, he meditates day and night." It's describing someone who is immersing themselves in the Word of God. Verse three of Psalm one says, "He is like a tree planted by streams of water." flourishing streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. This person is not worn down by the circumstances of life, though they come, though they change. This person's relationship with God is able to flourish in such a way where circumstances don't dictate the vitality of this person's walk with God. And the way that we achieve that is by meditating on His Word day and night, by immersing ourselves in God's Word. So, how will God's Word help me? Well, it will help you in ways that you realize, and ways that you will come to realize. Um, this week for me was a week full of worry, which always seems to happen because last week I preached on victory over worry, and the person who always benefits the most from preaching is the preacher. And um, this week, just because it happens at work sometimes, is that things converge and, um, and it was stressful. We've all had seasons like that. And I was lying in bed one night and I was just stressed. And um, I was lying there and I was like, okay, Carl, what was the application for your sermon on victory over worry? Well, it was claiming God's promises over your life in the midst of worry. And then so in the midst of worry, I needed to remind myself. I need to remind myself that God, is in, as a plan... To unite all things unto himself, and my ability to get tasks done or not get tasks done was not, to, not going to affect God's eternal plan. Amen? I needed to remind myself that God is a tender God, and that God has counted every single hair in my head. That God is not a far off, far off distant God, but God. What did I say? Don't have- I don't have any hair. Classic, <laughs> classic, classic, the classic joke. Zero. It's not a hard job for God sometimes. If you could help God out by shaving your head, he'd be blessed by that. I also reminded myself when I was laying in bed about the tender heart of God, that God is not distant, but that God is very close. And I also reminded myself of Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do immeasurably more through me than I could ever imagine. And I think that what is true sometimes is that we walk into spiritual apathy when we actually can't remember what promises of God we have to claim, that when the season's hit, that we haven't spent seasons immersing ourselves in God's word, that we can't claim the rewards that have been due to us. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my wife and I we went to go overseas, and um, we were paying with our Commonwealth credit card, and they asked us if we would like to use the 500 dollars of points that we had acquired over the year. And we didn't even know that we had any points. You have all these rewards available to you, and some of you don't even know that they're available to you. That in the midst of your season, if you don't dwell on God's word, when when trial and tragedy hit, and they will hit, you won't even know that God loves you and is close. You won't even know that God has a sovereign plan and that this week was no surprise to God. That God was not shocked by your week, He wasn't surprised. He saw it before the foundations of the earth. That you have all these great rewards for you that you will realize when the season comes. But there will also come seasons that you need to prepare for. And that comes through daily Bible reading. Reading it even when it's not the most exciting thing that you've ever read. Even when you get to the end of your reading and you didn't quite understand it and it didn't make a lot of sense to you. What you're doing is is building yourself in obedience to God's word that when that tragedy hits, you'll be a person that's resilient. That you won't fall into worry and anxiety or you'll fall into it rightly, claiming every single one of God's promises over your life. If you have a Bible that's falling apart, you will have a life that is not. Spiritual dryness will not overwhelm you, but the victory God has purposed for you will prevail. So Psalms reveal that fuel for worship comes from a zero tolerance for idols. And number two, from being immersed in God's word. And Psalm 148 reveals to us our third pillar for adding fuel to the fire of worship. And that is glory is the goal. Amen. Glory is the goal. If Psalms 1 and 2 are the thesis for the book of Psalms, the last five Psalms are really the conclusion We hear so much about the significance of what we need to believe as God's people through a survey of these last five Psalms. One of the things that we realize is that the chief end of the Christian life or the highest goal of Christian living is not behavior modification but glorifying God. One of the things that I've noticed about young Christians that seems to deflate them is when they make the, the bullseye of the Christian life behavior modification. When it's not, it's just a byproduct of glorifying God. So please hear me that I'm, I'm not saying that um, we shouldn't stop sinning and I'm not saying that we shouldn't modify our behavior, but I'm saying the goal of the Christian life is not to modify behavior. And I'm, what, I'll also put to you that what I'm saying is actually not very controversial at all. So if you're married, for example, the goal of your marriage isn't to not cheat on your partner. But should you not cheat on your partner? Of course you shouldn't. But that's not the goal of your marriage. And if you go to a workplace, you work in an office, the goal of your work is not to not steal office supplies. (laughs) Should you not steal office supplies? Of course you shouldn't. But it's not the goal of your work. The goal of what we do as Christians, even the goal of our mission as a church, is to glorify God because that is our eternal mission. It never, ever ceases. In heaven, we will glorify God. We will not do evangelism. We will glorify God for the rest of our lives. It is our eternal mission. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So in whatever you do, glorify God. God. Look down in Psalm 148, verse 13. It says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. A horn in the, to the Israelite people was a symbol of victory. And so the horn was a, a trumpet that would be um, blared out when The Israelites were victorious in in battle. It was a symbol of strength and power. And so what what is the vehicle or the mechanism by which we will receive the strength and power to be able to achieve glorifying God in the world? Well, it does reveal to us. In verse 14, let's read again. He has raised up a horn for his people. Going on to the next line. Praises for all his saints the horn the vehicle of strength and power is praises it doesn't say the praises of his saints but praises for his saints so praise is a gift from god that god gives us the denial of self the denial of my power and the adoration of god so strength for me to achieve god's purposes in this world It's not more of me. It's more of God. I was actually really, really um, jarred one time in our... We have, in the life of our church, uh, a meeting called PVC. It's our prayer, vision, and community um, gathering for people in the life of our church that want an update about what's going on. And everyone's welcome to come. It's not just for members. And um, a few years ago, uh, we were talking about planning City Reach West. And we we're all very, very excited about it. And um, I wasn't on staff at this point. And uh, Pastor Andrew got up and um, <clears throat> the question that was put to him is, what are we taking out to City Reach West um, to make a difference? And if you know Pastor Andrew, he's a gifted, gifted dude. He's um, like a great preacher, great songwriter, great musician. And the people that he was taking out there were great musicians. They were great songwriters. They were young. They had... Um, They were fit and healthy and they were attractive, right? Lots of things to attract people to to the West, right? And he he got up there and he said, what do we have um, to be able to reach the people of West that they need? And out of all the things that he could list, he goes, we don't have anything but Jesus. We don't have anything but Jesus. And it was super jarring for me. I didn't get it it sounded to me like a bit of a cop-out. It sounded to me like he was missing out on actually listing all the things that he could list off to impress people about what we're going to do and what we're going to take out there to accomplish all the things that we need to do. But the truth is, the only thing that matters to the people in West are not Andrew's giftings or abilities or the talents of the people that he's bringing out there or the attractiveness. The only thing that's going to make a difference in the lives of all the people out there is God. Yeah. Amen. It's the power of God and not the power of us. Yeah. This church doesn't need more of you. It needs more of God. And it's in the mystery of us denying ourselves daily that God is able to use us And our relationship with God doesn't become about behavior modification, but God actually, by His grace, gives us the mechanism by which we can do the most powerful ministry that we could ever do. And it is less of us and more of God. Less of us and more of God. Denying yourself in the Christian mindset isn't like denying yourself as a Buddhist. It's not about saying that I'm not connected to my world, I'm not connected to the good things, and I'm not connected to the bad things. It's not the same as that. Denying yourself as a Christian is about saying that there is someone else with more power in whom I can take refuge. That's what it means. It's not about me saying that I've got all these giftings that I can offer to the church, though God in his great power will use giftings but he only really uses those giftings when we learn to deny our pride and to deny the fact that God doesn't need us. God chooses by his good grace to use us. Psalm 149 and Psalm 150 are these great calls of praise. But they come because of the reasons to praise God that start right at the very start of the book of Psalms. Can you please fly over very, very quickly to Psalm 2? Psalms 1 and 2 are the thesis for the entire book that people often, uh, theologians believe, were written after the book of Psalms was completed, that authors coined those first two Psalms to help frame the argument of the book. And I want you to look down in Psalm number 2 and verse 12 it says kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled this is beautiful blessed are all who take refuge in him as we've been doing this series about what it looks like to experience victory the great cry of this series is that you're invited to take refuge in christ and the way that you experience victory in this lifetime is not by claiming hold of possessions It's not speaking good experiences into reality. It's accepting the great invitation of the Son revealed in the New Testament to be Jesus and taking refuge in him. The good news of the New Testament is that the one Jesus is better than any idol. The book of Revelation cries out, worthy is Jesus, worthy is Jesus. Worthy is Jesus, the one to receive praise and honor. Immerse yourself in the word. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the written word in human form. And in the gospel of Luke, in Luke 169, Jesus is revealed as the horn of salvation. That the power and strength of our salvation comes from Jesus Christ. And the great invitation of the book of Psalms is to take refuge in the divine king, King Jesus, to take shelter in Jesus. Uh, Recently, I was reminded of this art competition. I was reminded of this art competition where people were charged with this task of painting a picture of peace. And some painted these beautiful landscapes and flowers and and, um, pictures of serenity and all these beautiful things. And then someone painted this, And for those people that might find this difficult to see, what we have here is um, a scene that looks anything but peaceful. And it looks like there is a storm, and it looks like this storm has been brewing for a while, and it also looks like this storm is going to do some damage. I wonder for you if it's a picture of your life at the moment, that you're in the midst of a storm, and maybe that storm has been brewing for a while, and maybe your great fear is that that storm is going to do some damage. And the reason why this, um, this painting was so significant, if we can go to the next slide, is um, that right in, the, right in the midst of this cliff is this uh, little dove being held in the shelter of the rock. Walking in victory in our relationship with God is receiving and responding to this great invitation to take refuge in Jesus, our rock. If you can go back to our original picture for us, you'll see that the artist actually drew the face of Jesus on the top part of the rock there to remind us that it is Jesus who is our rock. That we overcome spiritual dryness. Yes, when we reject idols. Yes, when we turn to God's word. Yes, when we realize the power that we've been given. But we will receive that great refuge when we turn to Jesus Christ who is inviting every single one of us tonight in the midst of your storm to experience the comfort that he has set aside for you. I just want to pray for you now. If you feel comfortable, just to bow your head and close your eyes. It's the thing that we like to do in the life of our church is to give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. The gospel is this great news that though we were far from God, our sins separated us from him, that there is nothing we could do to close this gap. Because we have a just judge that will punish sin rightly. And the gospel is the good news that we have King Jesus who was the only one worthy to take this punishment for us. And not only does he substitute himself in for our salvation, he offers us his tender care, his refuge. And over this series it might be that you've struggled with anxiety or you might have struggled with worry. And you might have struggled with shame and maybe right now you are struggling with spiritual dryness. I want to invite you to take refuge in Jesus. Take refuge in Jesus. I would love to be able to pray for you. If you feel like you're a person who has been struggling with spiritual dryness, I do believe that the Holy Spirit actually makes a difference because his word reveals it so. And I would love to be able to pray for you. If you feel like you're in a season of spiritual dryness, would you just raise your hand so I might know to pray for you? Praise the Lord. I appreciate your honesty praise the lord praise the lord you can put your hand downwards put it up praise the lord praise the lord if you, um, another group of people i'll just love to love to pray for before i close is those people that just feel like the circumstances are dictating their spiritual health at the moment this series is teaching us through the book of psalms that um, we are more than conquerors as paul tells us in romans and If your circumstances are affecting your spiritual health, I would just love to pray for you that the Holy Spirit might revitalize you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in power in this moment. God, we've got applicational steps to do during the week, but we know that you're, through the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit, that you can change lives in a moment. But God, I just ask that your spirit would move right now. Would your spirit move right now? Would it soften our hearts to your word and would it harden our hearts to the circumstances in our life that are robbing us of the victory that you've purchased for us? I want to pray for each person here tonight that they would not feel under the weight of condemnation, but they would respond the God who has lovingly outstretched his arm towards them, inviting them to take refuge. Inviting them to take refuge. Amen.